This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm excited about today and um, welcome my sidekick uh, producer, Seth Hurd. How you doing, Seth? I'm good. Really looking forward to talking about teams in the zone. Mike Small, University of Illinois men's golf coach today. Oh, uh, he's a champion. NCAA coach of the year. Uh, eight Big Ten titles. Uh, coach of the year multiple times in the Big Ten. Uh, he's taken a winter uh, school, uh, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon, where the winters can be a little bit brutal in Illinois, and he's competing at the highest level with the Southern Californias, the Texas, the Florida teams, the Alabamas, and uh, they are perennially in the hunt for a national title. So I'm excited to talk about Mike Small, about how do you get a team in the zone, especially one that has maybe some challenges not being in a great weather place? And we're going to do a special who's in the zone this week. I love this. Mom's well, in the zone. I, you know, I started thinking about teams in the zone, and there's so many uh, teams right now. Uh, baseball, football, uh, basketball coming up, not not too far away. Hockey, Hockey coming, coming up, up yeah. not too far away. But then I started thinking, you know, who is the world's greatest coach? There is a reason a 6'7", 325-pound lineman, when he gets on camera, looks directly into the camera and mouths, hi, mom, as he's <laughs> waving. Why is that? Why is it always, hi, mom? Now, I'm a dad. How come it's not, hi, dad? It's always high mom. And I realize, you know, mom is the world's greatest coach. Without our moms, and and there's some great dads, and and for all you single-parent fathers out there, you know, kudos to you, and my hat goes off to you. And and also for uh, a female uh, single mom. But moms bring everybody together. Moms uh, make sure that everybody shows up at dinner time the special events. Mom really is a band leader, orchestrator of the most important team in our lives, and that's our family. And that's why who's in the zone? Mom, you're in the zone. And it's the time of the year where it's tough to be a mom, especially if you're working full time. You got kids back in school, got to make sure they got the lunches, got to make sure uh, homework's being done. Uh, You've got dad, obviously, working, two people working. Uh, And if you're a a mom that's a homemaker, oh, my goodness, that's the toughest job on the planet. So this is a shout-out to every mom out there. I'm an expert, by the way, Seth. I have a mom, by the way. And and I live with a mom as well. And I'm just in awe of the self-discipline the concentration, the optimism, the relaxation, and the enjoyment that moms really have on the one institutional team that we all are a part of, and that's our family. Let's dive into this just a little bit for the interview here. Your parents were a huge influence on your life. They were. Huge influence. No, no, no only child, Appalachia, McRoberts, Holler, multiple jobs. Uh, but they put me first. I, I thought I was the center of the universe, and 
Uh, that has to do with my mom, obviously, and, and my father. But my mom, she was, she was special. Uh, I remember someone uh, stole my bike, and my parents believe I allowed that to happen. Okay. By, by not being responsible, leaving my bike out, no lock on it, and it got stolen. And there was one part of town that possibly my bike could have found its way to this part of town. It's long gone now. It's called Avondale at the time. And my mom got me in, in, her, in her old Buick, put me in the car. We're going to go find uh, your bike. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. I mean, losing my bike's one thing, but having my mom now go door to door. And we went, Seth, door to door. Hi. I'm Lahoma Fannin. This is my son, Jimmy. Uh, he had a green Schwinn, and uh, his bike has been so- stolen. Have you seen it? And I was terrified uh, of this whole process, and I'm embarrassed, obviously. Yeah. And my mom found it. She, she bonded with another mother, and I think the other mother busted her son's rear end really good because he stole the bike. And my mom was not really happy with me because I was irresponsibly. Uh, but the lesson was there. And my mom was tough. She was hillbilly tough. And uh, I can look at my success and go, you know what? Thank you, mom. There's a lot there that she oh. uh, built in 0 to 5, 0 to 12, 0 to 18. She tucked me in bed at night. I believe. In you, the four most powerful words you can say to a child to build self-esteem. I've done that with my daughter, and uh, my mother did that with me. And uh, so to all moms out there, uh, pat on the back. Hope you get some relaxation enjoyment. No, it's not Mother's Day. It's not. But I think moms are great coaches for one of the toughest teams around, and that's the family team. Getting into the interview, just a quick setup here on on um, Mike Small once again. I think what's one of the most incredible aspects to this story is even though it's about teams in the zone, he also had a lot of vision here that we're going to get into in this interview because this is one of those stories that isn't supposed to happen, right? You're not supposed to go to a, a northern school and be great at golf. Well, this guy, first of all, was a great player, still is a great player in his own right. I mean, he, he's been out there on the web.com tour. He was out there on the PGA tour. Uh, definitely just recently played in the PGA championships. So this guy is a great player and could have easily gone off and made that his career. But, you know, when he, when he came to Illinois and got the opportunity to take over this program, he did have a vision. Now, I'm not equating him to a mom, although sometimes I'm sure he he puts on the role of being a mom to you know a young freshman coming in for the first time away from home, and he's a dad and he's a coach, and I'm sure he runs the gamut of all the things that he has to be for his team. But he not only put together a team in an individual sport; it's it's a selfish individual sport. But boy, has he turned it into a juggernaut, formidable team. And his team, at, by the end of uh, next spring, they're going to be in the zone competing again and again for a national championship. I'm looking forward to talking to him, find out that secret sauce on, on how he did that. This is for you, regardless of if you're a coach, a team captain, a sales manager. If you're leading or influencing anything or anybody, you're going to find something you're going to love in here. Exactly. And he, he, knows, um, he knows how to give a kick to the pants or a hug or whatever he needs to do to get the individuals and the team as a whole into that purposeful, calm mindset where nothing can go wrong. And Seth, we obviously, you and I, we call that the zone. Let's bring him on. Well, I'm excited to bring on uh, the University of Illinois men's golf coach, uh, NCAA coach of the year, uh, great player in his own right, and definitely uh, uh, one of the best, if not the best coach in the United States. Mike Small, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm glad you're with us. 
Thank you, Jim. It's good to be here, and uh, you know, thanks to you and all your help for, with our team over the years. And we're just trying to get in, get into the zone as much as we can. Well, you know, this, this uh, show, and I could have you on a, a, a hundred times, and we'd find something fascinating. But this show's about having a team in the zone, how to groom a team to peak at the right time and right place. So let, let's put this year in perspective. You've got the majority of your team coming back. You went to the NCAA. You won the Big Ten championship last year. So you had a great run. You only lost one player. You've got two new freshmen that you need to incorporate into the culture, the winning culture of the fighting Illini. But we're seven months away from peaking at the right time and right place. Big Ten title regionals, nationals, but here we are in the fall trying to get freshman-oriented, uh, where, where they're in class, where their books, all the rules and regulations. It's a busy time for you, isn't it? You're exactly right. This is, uh, this is where, we, where we lay the groundwork uh, for a successful season. And the fall, the tournaments in the fall in college golf count just as much as the spring tournaments do. But with the championship season, like you said, the nationals and regionals and the Big Ten so far away, sometimes young players are going to take the practices and the preparation. And through our hard work over the years and through your help and leadership and, uh, you know, guiding, you know, coaching me, if you will, um, you know, we've, we've learned to stay in the zone as much as we can. And if you want to be in the zone next April and May and June at the national finals, you got to try to be in the zone as much as you can and have practice and habits of getting into that zone. And, and, and um, you know, we need to practice it as much as we can and, and, and need to learn who we are and master who we are. So when that time comes, it's just reactionary. Well, you know, I, I'm a believer that if you're in the zone in class and you're listening to a professor and you're locked into the moment, I'm a believer that the zone is the zone is the zone. And academics, uh, they, they obviously have to uh, not only have a uh, full load at school to be on your team and be on scholarship, but they also have to do well academically. Uh, you make academics a, a big deal. I mean, and nothing worse is to lose a player because he's academically ineligible. But a lot of players that are coming to Illinois, they've, they've got some pro golf aspirations, and I would say most of them do. Uh, I, I know a good portion do. Uh, that's easy to take your eye off the academics. How do you help the student athlete balance that and get in the zone in the classroom and on the course? Well, you're exactly right. I mean, we're here at the University of Illinois for academics. This is the main reason why we're all here. We don't have a golf program if we don't have an academic institution. So nothing uh, supplants, number one, um, away from academics. Academics is the reason we're all here. Now, golf, we always kid and joke about, is a close, close, close second. But it's not number one. It never will be. And um, I'm a big believer that if you um, expand, you know, excellence in every area of your life and try to get into the zone and try to compete at every area of your life as good as you can and as well as you can, uh, it's going to tra- it's going to transcend all different variables of your life or different areas. And and uh, we talk when you're in the classroom, that's the most important thing you're thinking about right then and there. And then when you're studying, that's the, that's, the, that's the biggest, most important thing you're thinking about at that time. But when you go to the golf course, you come to the training center or we go to a tournament, then you're into that. That is the most important thing you think about at that time. And you, you got to compartmentalize your thoughts and your, and your, um, your habits and, uh, you know, engage yourself as much as you can 100% into that area. And then if you do that, I think you'll be, have a better chance of being in that zone in all of them. Now, you've got uh... – Everybody on your team but one player returning, and you've got two seniors, uh, Dylan Meyer and uh, Nick Hardy, that have had a lot of success, and they're highly ranked, and you're looking for them to be a leader. And then you've got two freshmen who uh, I'm sure are a little bit nervous competing with uh, uh, anybody on your, on your team. How does that work? How do you transition two freshmen in with two seniors who may look past Illinois to the PGA Tour? Because both of those players could play on the PGA Tour. And I think, I think Dylan Meyer even uh, made a cut at uh, 
one of the tournaments, uh, and maybe Nick Hardy did as well. How's that transition? Seniors, yeah. freshmen, how's that going? Well, the first thing. The first thing these kids have to realize is rankings don't really mean anything. I mean, ranking is just to something out there to get people's interest and to, and, and, and to maybe for, for dialogue or just to kind of put people in certain areas. But rankings don't really mean anything when it comes to championships. You still have to get out there and produce and, and play and, and, and build your body of work, like we say, and, and get the job done and win the tournament. And uh, so you have to put those rankings behind you and not get too wrapped up into what you've done and be more interested in what you're doing at a certain time. And um, when you talk about infusing freshmen into a program, in any program, if it's a business office or if it's a school or if it's an athletic team, you know, culture and environment are everything. I mean, that's where everything grows out of. That's that's the that's the center point of any successful um, or really in, any unsuccessful program is you have to have a positive um, environment and culture. And if it's not, you're unsuccessful. And and uh, you got to get those freshmen to buy into what happens and what and what and, and that um, you know, unspoken way of doing things, and well, uh, that, very that, spoken that, and minded. That also but, leads to uh, recruiting, which is a, a necessary <laughs> evil for every coach. Right. And you know, it can be everything, but obviously, you're talking about that culture uh, before you even recruit them. Um, so, tell me about your team this year. Well, like you said, we uh, we finished the season last year in the Final Four in, in NCAA Division One. We lost in the semifinals for the third year in a row. So we've been a consistent program for better part of a decade. Um, you know, finishing the you know like like six of the last seven years inside the top five in the country. Um, so we have some expectations that we're trying to dispel and not think about, but still piggyback on and still continue that success. Um, we lost one player, our um, our third man last uh, this year, turned professional early and I uh, want to take his game to the next level. So that, let, that leaves a little void. So guys on the team's responsibilities uh, probably have changed a little bit and some guys are going to have to step up and take different roles. So we're trying to satis- trying to, trying to identify those and get those guys to embrace their new roles. And then along with adding uh, two solid, strong young freshmen that have a chance to play. And in our program, if you're a freshman and you don't come in expecting to play, you're probably in the wrong program because, not everybody, not everybody can play, but everybody's got to have that mentality that they can and will and want to. And, and um, you know, we, we talk a lot about fear, fearful golf versus fearless golf. And we believe that uh, you have to really be on the strong side of the spectrum of fearless golf. And, and the freshmen have to come in and believe they can play. So when you mix some talent, uh, a lot of talent and a lot of accomplishments in our seniors, along with some really good talent in our sophomores, they had a good year last year, but then potential with our freshmen. I think there's a good recipe for success, but we have to get everybody on the same page in our culture and environment. That's where we spend the first probably two or three weeks of every of every fall season getting everybody on the same page. Now, after the fall season, uh, do you take a break? Is your can your uh, does your team take a break from golf, or or do you just keep going yeah. all the way through? No, we stop about the 1st of November. We're going to finish at the East Lake Cup this year, which is a nationally televised event on the Golf Channel. It's the final four teams from last year get to play in a made-for-TV event um, at the first part of November. And then after that, our fall season ends. And then we have we don't play again until the end of January, first part of February. Um, so we have some time off. And these guys on our team have been, they've been playing very hard since February of last year. So they're getting a point in their time, a point in their season where some fatigue and some mental fatigue is, is, is coming coming in and, you know, they played a hard, strong summer schedule and now they're back playing the fall team schedule. Um, but that's where I think balance in your life and pacing yourself even during the season is important because, you know, if, 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 if you're too burnout or too, uh, too, too engaged too long, um, you get sloppy in what you do. So we've been trying to incorporate some breaks along the season, but I'm sure they can't wait till November gets here and they can take about a month and a half off and be a normal student for a while. Yeah, and, and most of the players have been burning it, uh, traveling uh, with their own summer schedule outside of the university. So uh, uh, it, it's pretty much full year for them. So that break's going to be good to kind of sharpen the axe, to, to build up some energy so they can uh, head out into the Big Ten season. Speaking of Big Ten, I, you've won, I believe, three in a row. Uh, I believe you won eight of the last 10 years a Big Ten title. That's a pretty formidable 
uh, task that you've done. It's very intimidating for other schools, but that does put pressure on everybody on your team. How do you overcome that? You're right. How well, do you you're right. That? It does. And well, and that's something you got to, you got to, each team has its own identity and each team every year has to develop its own identity and play for themselves and not playing for people behind them. You know, we've won, like I said, we won actually eight of the last nine big 10 championships. And the one year we didn't win, we finished second lost by three shots. So we've been in contention and kind of at the top there for the better part of a decade. And we've had that success, I think, because number normally, you know, number one, we have great players, and but number two, we keep them in the present, and they stay in the present, and they realize that they're playing for them, for their brothers and their teammates on that particular team. And if you start playing for teams, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ahead of you because you got a streak going, or um, you know, you're trying to satisfy another collection of players, that's that's stressful. So you got to get in your own little foxhole with your team and develop your own personality, your own mindset and um, really uh, come together and play for that point in time. And then I think after a while, after these number of years add up, then you have a streak. But I don't think you start playing now for past streaks or future streaks. You're just working on that one right now. Well, and you've done a masterful job of helping your team peak at the right time and the right place. I know before an event, sometimes you even uh, uh, slack off a little bit uh, let her, let the players chill out just a little, not not too much, uh, so they they are rested mentally and physically before an event. And you've been doing that for a decade. That's an art form. I, Mike, I want to change the subject because I, I want to talk about you. I mean, NCAA Coach of the Year, but I think a lot of people don't realize you do one-on-one coaching with each of your players in addition to team coaching, and these players could have academic challenges, girlfriend challenges, parental challenges, uh, physical challenges. You've probably seen it all and done it all, but that takes an inordinate amount of time managing some of these kids. First time they've been away uh, full-time from their parents, two freshmen. Uh, That's a challenge unto itself managing somebody one-on-one and managing the team as a whole. That's been interesting for you. And you also have compliance with the university, doing the right thing, Uh, having the paper trail that all your expenses are in order. Uh, And then there's recruiting, which is uh, ongoing all the time. And then the other thing, Mike, I want to talk about, this is probably going to cause you to need a nap. You're also a formidable player yourself, and you played in the PGA Championship. Mike, how do you do all this? you got a lot. you got a family. You've got a team. And then you've got your own personal golf. You've even got your own golf camp. Uh, Do you need a nap right now, me talking about all this? (laughs) Do you need to lay down down and take a nap? Well, Jimmy, it's life. We only have one of them, so you might as well make the most of it. It's like I kind of figure. But uh, one of the big successes or or advantages I have is I have Jim Fannin on my side. And you know that. We call and talk a lot, and and, um, you're busy as anybody yourself. So we, we try to manage our time. We try to do what's, you know, prioritize and do what's, do what's best. But like you said, when I'm coaching my team, I'm coaching an individual sport under a team atmosphere, and it's very difficult to do that. And I think the way you do that in any organization is, about, is with relationships. You have to get to know your players, your kids on your team, and um, uh, really get to know them so that you can kind of pick up on things that may go wrong or maybe, you know, go in the wrong direction, that if you didn't have that relationship, you couldn't pick up on it. And um, I, I think that's uh, that, that's very, very huge to have that um, in your back pocket when things get going sideways. And then with everything else that goes on, you know, your team has to has to take some respons- responsibility themselves. And um, basically, though, when a team knows you care about them, when players know you really care about them as a person and that you want them to succeed um, in academically and in their trade of golf, they want to play that for a living. When you really care about them, they will work with you. They will they will listen and, and they will let you into their world to help them. And, um, that's where mentoring and coaching comes in, but you have to add that, that trust and that relationship first. And then with the other stuff you're talking about with my career. Yeah. I mean, I'm a coach first player second, 
but for a long time there, I was a player first playing professionally. I played the PGA tour and played a lot of tournaments all over the world, tours all over the world. And, um, ironically, my game got better when I started coaching because I learned to type, I learned to, uh, manage my time a little bit better. But I also realized that my personality is better if I have different things to focus on and different things to distract me. Uh, when I played the PGA Tour, it was me, myself, and my game 24-7. And I had some success, had some wins, made a, made a good career of it for a while. But after a while, I burnt myself out because I was so involved in what I was doing. I needed variety. And then when I started coaching and discovered something else I loved to do and wanted to build something at this program and bring kids in and share in our vision, um, it distracted me from my game, but also kind of diluted my obsessiveness, if you will. And I became a better player. And uh, so I've learned to manage all these things together um, with the coaching and the playing and the teaching and the recruiting and then my family at home. And it's just, it's, it's been tough, but you know what? It's been one heck of a ride. And uh, I still got a few, year, few years left in me to, to keep this thing going. But I know one thing, it's not boring. And um, I'm, my personality, if I had a boring life, I would not be happy. Well, you know, one of the challenges, uh, whether you're a coach or not, just a challenge as a player is, and I told this to so many uh, PGA players that I've coached, uh, if I talk to you the way you talk to you, you'd fire my ass. I've, I've told <laughs> a lot of people that. But being a coach and having so much knowledge, understanding the zone Boy, that's got to be a challenge when you go play a Champions Tour event or you recently played the PGA Championship. How do you become just a player and turn that coach's voice off in your mind? Tell me about that. That that has to be a challenge. I'm still trying to figure that out, Jim. You know that. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. I, I haven't quite got it figured out yet. The longer I coach – um, the harder it is to play because you become so infused into the coaching part. And, 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 um, but you're right. I coach myself more now than I ever did. And when I played and when I'm playing, if, if I play three or four weeks in a row, I can kind of get out of that mindset. And I start playing pretty well. But if I mix the coaching and playing back and forth um, pretty quickly, I, um, it is difficult and I can manage it sometimes, but um, you know, it just, I, I coach myself too much and I, I, I evaluate and, you know, your job as a coach is to evaluate almost all day long. You're evaluating recruits, sure. you're evaluating your team, you're evaluating your schedule, you're evaluating your budget, everything. And then you, and then you act on it. But and when you're playing tournament golf as a professional and, uh, you know, like I said, I've had some success, but, um, but at the well, same you've point had great time, success. I, you've had great success. That, let's, but I, but, but, but Jimmy, I evaluate myself too much and you know that, and that's something that I yeah. have to step back and just let it flow sometimes. Now, can we zone in on this, this element of helping a player and a team peak at the right time? You, you said that when you were out on the tour, it was you yourself and your game and you're in your head a lot. Right. And Jim talks about a true champion having goals for every area of your, of your life. And when you said you needed to be distracted, you know, it sounds like that's what you need is you need it. Maybe at that time you needed a few more goals, right? When you look at your team and you've got these, you know, players who are trying to turn pro and you've got these eager freshmen that are ready to do anything out there on that course to, to build their own legacy as a college athlete. How do you keep them from getting fried too early? When you talk about really wanting to peak at, at that late part of the season, you know, Jim mentioned helping them chill out a little bit. What does that dance look like as a coach? Well, that's a great question. And I think it changes every year with the type of team you have. Uh, becoming a successful coach, you have to understand your team, build those relationships, but understand what makes them tick. Some teams can work harder. Some, some teams can be uh, are led by leaders that, that want it and, and just can just go, go, go every day and just grind it out. Other teams need to chill, like you said, and kind of relax a little bit. So I think a coach needs to have a pulse on that and, 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 and be able to, to uh, change and, and ebb and flow with whatever kind of team he has. And um, you know, some years in, in March or April when we're preparing for the national championship uh, that comes in May and June, uh, we haven't been playing very well. So sometimes you have to ramp it up and uh, sometimes you have to ramp it down depending on the team's personality. And some years we're playing great and you have to ramp it up or ramp it down. So it's it, it not really answering your question, I guess, because it depends on what kind of team you have. Right. Any kind of organization, you got to identify what you have. And your leadership is different. Leaders are huge, especially on small teams. But then you have an individual sport we're talking about where guys train differently, too. And uh, 
you know, some guys need to practice, 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 and some guys just need to play and play and play. So, um, and, it, and some guys different. need a, a kick in the ass, and some guys need a hug. That's, That's different. right. Everybody's different right. like that. Yeah, what they need. Right. Hey, I, I want to talk about something else because you're so much more than a player and a coach. You've done something at Illinois that I think is phenomenal. I, I think it's amazing. You've raised a lot of money, and you've built the most amazing indoor facility, locker room facility, playing facility, training facility in the country. And that took a lot of time and effort. So you're, you're actually a builder of a facility. This was your dream, and uh, you've raised a lot of money. You've got a great alumni. Tell me a little bit about your facility, because that does, that does help you uh, being a northern school. And for you to have the record that you have, being a northern school that's facing bad, you know, bad weather all the time, once you step inside the Illinois practice facility, you're like, whoa. This is awesome. It's a well. You t talk a little bit about and paint the picture of your facility quickly. How it got started, what kind of money you had to raise. I think you've made more money. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Than any other program besides basketball and football at Illinois. Is that a true statement? We've raised a lot of money. Yes, we've raised, our facilities are upwards over twelve million dollars just for our men's and women's programs, just for our golf facilities. And um, but it started with a vision. You have to have a vision. You have to have what you want, kind of want to accomplish. What what point it's going to serve, um, and then you have to have people that obviously want to want to get involved. And the biggest thing it does with recruiting and showing people is that it, it it's important to us. There's a commitment from our administration, from a coaching staff, that we want to be the best. We want to give the kids and the players the best place they can go to develop their game and to, and, and to give them the resources to be great. Now there's no guarantee that's going to happen because they have to supply the energy and the talent, but we can give them as, as good a resources as there is in the world. And we had a great alumni base and administration that wanted to jump on board and do that. And uh, unbelievable indoor training center. Uh, you can practice really any shot in golf um, inside um, huge, 7,000 square foot, 8,000 square foot chipping and putting area inside, long 85-foot putts and bump and runs and flop shots, all kinds of things. And then bays hitting into out, uh, hit balls inside out all winter long from a comfortable heated station. How many track uh, man, the, track man uh, how many of those do you have? Oh yeah. We got track man in the bays. We got six bays um, hitting into out. Uh, team rooms, locker rooms, video rooms, the whole deal. It's, it's, it's an all-inclusive training center in the Midwest for golf. And then we just completed an, a, a 24 acre outdoor training center, which is probably the most fluid training slash practice slash playing area you've ever seen for golf. It's not a course. It's not a driving range. It's fully irrigated from corner to corner, 24 acres, eight or nine different green complexes, USGA spec greens, regular greens, different four or five different types of grass, uphill, downhill, side hill. Uh, pins tucked in every or every area of every type of green you can imagine to where you can uh, emulate and manufacture any kind of shots you want to hit in practice. And it's a training center. If there's shots we go to a tournament that we can't hit, if if, if a young man can't hit a, uh, a a high fade to a back right pin with a right to left wind, um, we can we can create that shot in a matter of minutes on our facility anywhere from 30 yards to 300 yards. Or if he's having trouble hitting a knockdown draw to a back left pin with the left to right wind, we can create that one too. Or um, side hill, downhill, bunker shots, anything. It, it, it's the most fluid training center you've ever seen that you can train to hit shots that you're giving you trouble or to master shots that you want to master, like leading to a certain tournament. So when, when, um, you, there's a when, when you thought this up in your mind and you, you had a vision of this facility, when you first had this vision, what, when was that? What year was that? I actually probably thought of it before I was even coaching, but when I got the job, when the AD approached me when I was on uh, back on the web.com tour as a past champion, I lost my card on the PGA Tour, wanted me to come back and do this job and see if we could build something special. Um, we talked about it then and there because if I was going to do this and I was going to put my playing career on hold for a little bit and, and do this, I wanted to have – 
the backing and the and the and the support to do it. And and as time goes, your 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 thoughts evolve and your ideas evolve. But I knew I wanted something special. This program is not about doing things ordinary or doing some doing things status quo. We want to do everything extraordinary and above the above the bar. And um, we weren't just going to build a building with some bays and hitting into out. We weren't just going to build a, t- a training center with just some range and some greens. It was going to be unique. And you and were a part of what our program and, aspired to do. And and every part of this facility came out of your brain. Yeah, the comps that do is now obviously Steve Stricker and I played in, played at Illinois together, and Strick's one of the best players in the world for about 25 years, and he helped conceptualize some things. But yeah, it came out of an idea that I wanted to be different. I didn't want to be the same. I don't want to. I don't want to just just meld in with the crowd, and uh, and I don't think our players deserve that, and I don't think our facilities facilities deserve that. I think it's something that we wanted to to stand out. So we had to come up with a different idea, but was efficient. It's not a waste of space. There's not one wasted space in this facility, indoor or outdoor, that is just non, non-effective space. It's, it's all there to make our guys better. We could Mike, put in a lot Mike. more frills, a lot more things, but we'd have wasted our time and money by putting in showpieces. Everything here serves a purpose, and that's what's great about it. Mike, you need to go take a nap. <laughs> I mean, look, you've built a facility. You've built a culture a winning culture, uh, you do the recruiting, compliance, well, that's another, that's another issue altogether, which NCAA and University of Illinois, you have to comply in the paperwork that goes with that. I got to tell you, Mike, you've been a true champion. I know this has not been easy. Uh, great things all have a blueprint, and you've had that blueprint and it's just been a blast uh, working with you uh, and then watching the rewards and the fruits of uh, some of the players. Talk about a few guys that have left Illinois and that have gone on onto the pro. Who do you have out there on the pro ranks that uh, bleeds the fighting Illini colors? Well, last few years, um, just recently – uh, you know, Luke Guthrie and Scott Langley have made over three or four million dollars on the PGA Tour and had their cars for I think for four consecutive years. Um, they're working their way back to the tour right now, but they've uh, you know they've had successful careers as young players. Got their cards at 21 years old. Um, Thomas Peters, one of our uh, one of our national champions here. Scott Langley and Thomas Peters won the NCAA individual championship while they were here at Illinois. We all see what Thomas is doing as a professional. He's top 25 or 30 in the world now, and um, finished fourth in the Masters and a bunch of World Golf Championship top finishes and a and the star of the European Ryder Cup team last year. He's doing well. And uh, Thomas Dietrich, a fellow Belgium um, uh, citizen that, uh, that Thomas Peters is, um, is doing well on the European Tour himself. And then you got young guys like Brian Campbell who played the PJ Tour this year, got his card at 22 years old or 21 years old. So I'm proud of our guys when they graduate from Illinois and they get out of school and they decide to play professional golf, they're having success at 21, 22 years old, not 27, 28 years old it was back when I came out or Strick came out. These guys are ready to go right away. They're fearless, and they're hungry, and they're determined, and they've, they're implementing things they learned here that have shortened their, their, their curve or their timeline once they turn pro. So I'm proud of those guys for getting out and and having success and uh, right and, away and, and, chasing and the they drink. stay and they stay in touch with the program. They stay in touch with you. And uh, I, I can see that on social media, you stay in touch with them. So uh, you've really built a family uh, of champions at Illinois. And uh, Mike, I, I'm really proud of your success. Personally, I'm proud of the team's success. What a great job. And Best of luck this year getting your team, obviously, in the zone for this fall uh, season and, uh, and then getting ready for uh, Big Ten, Regionals, and Nationals in 2018. Thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, you got to come back. I, I want to I keep finding out what's going on with Illini Golf. Oh, that's great, Jimmy. Thank you. And you know as well as I do, and everybody does, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And uh, – I appreciate you uh, being a good friend and helping me out, and you've uh, you've taught me a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks a lot. Be in the zone. I'll talk to you soon, Mike. Thanks. All right, bud. Jim coaches some of the top pro athletes, creatives, and titans of industry in the world, and 
you can have the same guidance in whatever challenges you're facing, whatever your team is going through, whatever your visions are. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com. That's ask Jim at jimfannon.com. I want to give a little golf tip. You know, we let's, were talking. Let's go for it. We're talking golf. Let's go for it. Seth, I have two guys that shoot 70. One's happy, one's not happy. One's ready to kick the dog. One's ready to go out on the town and celebrate their round. And this has happened several times, but I just want to mention it again. Two identical scores, two clients of mine. I watched both of them in, in one day play 18 holes of golf. So I saw 36 holes of golf. One teed off in the morning, one teed off in the afternoon. They both shoot 70. Now, the guy that shot 70 in the morning, he started off on fire. I think he throws down a 30 on the front nine, which is amazing. We're going for records. But he blows up on the back, especially in the last six holes, and it's disastrous. He still shoots 70, two under par, but boy, he was looking around to 59, you know, or 60. So he's not happy. The other guy that teed off in the afternoon, he gets off to uh, a really rocky start. He bogeys the first hole, has a double in the first six holes. He's not doing well. He's definitely not in the zone. But in the last six holes, that zone comes on him like an overcoat. He finds the purposeful calm. He hits every fairway the last six holes. It's every green, makes every putt, and he turns a bad round into a great round, two under 70. Two guys, same score, one's happy, one's not happy. You got to close. You got to be a closer. And I know that's what uh, Mike Small has done. I've talked about that with Mike about the last, uh, after you played 12 holes, reboot, clear your mind, conjure up all your energy and get ready to unleash that energy and give nothing back after 12 holes. Play solid, lock in, no shoulda, coulda, woulda, close. Are you a closer? And I found that teams that get into the zone, Mike, they close. I've found that with Mike Small. His teams that have won, they close. And and Seth, it doesn't matter what the sport it doesn't matter even if it's your family. Close the year out great. Close the week out great. Close the month out great. You must be a closer of reaching at least a minimum requirement for a solid performance in that final uh, minutes or final, final days of whatever you're doing. You need to close. Very interesting that we're going to piggyback off of that with a question that came in. Again, ask Jim at jimfannon.com to get your question answered. This one's very simple and very short. Why is it so hard to win the year after a championship? I've delivered this statement to every athlete I've coached, especially after they've done something really awesome. And I've seen it on TV. I've been there in person or I heard about what they did, something extraordinary, something they would say, this was a great day for me. I've delivered the message that they don't like, but they understand why I'm doing it. You're only as great as the day after greatness. As soon as you win for the year or for the week, everybody's going to be talking about what you've done. So now where are you? I'm back in the past. That's not where the zone is. And then they ask you, well, do you think you can do it next year? Now I'm off into the future. Now what got me into that winning form was being locked into the moment. It's using that B to A principle. I I know what B is. I've mentally reverse engineered that performance that year all the way back to where I am right now. And that illuminates a pathway. Now I kind of walk on it as if it's so and get lost in the moment. Uh, but after you win, you've got the media, you've got your family, you've got your friends, maybe even your own coaches, dissecting, analyzing, over-evaluating, 
and then going into the future, talking the talk about how great you are, how awesome you are, what kind of dynasty you're going to have. Well, those are all uh, recipes for disaster. You're only as great as the season after greatness. So we'll look at Golden State Warriors. Awesome year. Congratulations. You've got Kevin Durant. Uh, You've got the same team back. It don't matter. You're only as great as the year after greatness. You're going to have to get back in the zone, and you're going to have to earn it one day at a time. Let me drill down into that just a bit more before we move off of this question. So let's say you're you know, a parent or you're the athlete. High school football. You win the conference championship. You're a junior. You know you're coming back next year. What, is, what does the day, the week, maybe even the month after that championship, the season is wrapped up, you did your job, the team was in the zone, what does that process look like you know, as you transition into off-season training, enjoyment, relaxation? What's, what's the optimum way to handle that? Well, I think everyone needs a vision about your own personal performance that wakes you up and puts you to sleep at night. But the key to being great is not having those zone days. Those are great days, zone days. Those are ESPN days, uh, highlight days. But greatness is reaching a high daily standard, a minimum requirement for a solid or satisfactory performance over a long, long period of time. So, yes, I want everybody that I'm coaching to be in the zone. But the bottom line, after your season, you got to find that high standard again. You can't just uh, chalk it up as you're awesome, you're great, you've got all this confidence, and then not prepare. Believe me, the competition is not happy that you won. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna be formidable the next time you face them. So the key to being successful really is hit, hitting that high standard, and only you know what that standard is for you, and you got to reach it day after day after day. And remember that you need every piece of the score system so you can have that relaxation enjoyment after or after a big moment. But we've also got to come back around to the self-discipline concentration. You do. Optimism. You do. You're, you're going to come back to self-discipline over and over again. And, and if you're uh, trying too hard, well, in the Zone Cafe, you'll go in and get some relaxation, whatever you might need. Let's pull up to the cafe right now, shall we, for the week? Well, let's do it. So here you are, you've had a great week, but maybe or maybe not, you've been in the zone. Let's say that you were, you had a great week, you were in the zone. So what do you need to get back in the zone for the upcoming week? Well, you probably need more discipline, set some new goals, but that's really up to you. Or if you've had a tough week. Maybe you need something else. There's only five things in this cafe, Seth. So on our menu board, you can order you know, a big bucket of self-discipline. Now, that's strategy, tactics. This is the willingness and commitment to stay with a task to reach well-defined goals that lead you to your vision. Or maybe you need a plate of concentration, the ability to focus not thinking about the past or the future. I mean, I'm talking locked into the now. Or maybe you need a giant bag of optimism. Maybe that's what you need. That confidence, that self-esteem, that pride, that trust that what you have is enough. Maybe that's what you need to get in the zone this upcoming week. But like a lot of us, you know, we, we try, and I've learned that T-R-Y, try is to ruin yourself. The best in the world, they, they're not trying. They look like they're not trying. They got their John Hinge. Michael Jordan used to have his tongue stuck out. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? You know, his tongue's flopping. He's going in for a dunk in the lane. You might need a big drink of uh, relaxation, that purposeful calmness, that peacefulness, that ability that you have that will negate worry or fear or any anxiety that calmness about you. Your muscles are smooth and, and you don't look like you're fighting yourself. You're in that flow of energy. But maybe, maybe 
you need something else. Uh, maybe you need a slab of enjoyment. And that's a little passion, a little joy, a little enthusiasm. Sometimes all you need is a smile, or maybe you need to skip on and off the field just to get a little endorphins into your bloodstream. So what do you need, Seth? Do you need self-discipline? Do you need concentration? Do you need optimism, relaxation, enjoyment? No matter what you did last week, you got to keep that score level balanced. So, Seth, you're at the drive-up window. May I help you? Uh, yes. I will take a big plate of concentration. A plate of concentration. Now, I'm just going to let you know, once you start gobbling on this plate of concentration, the blinders are going on. You're only going to be able to see the task at hand. So make those tasks well-defined and lock in. Let's see if you can elongate your concentration level. That's going to be the missing link, possibly, to get you in that amazing, purposeful, calm zone state. So everybody, order right now. Take it into the next week. I'm Jim Fannin. My name is Seth Hurd. You've been in the Zone Cafe, and you've also been on the Jim Fannin Show. And until next time, Seth, you know there's only one place to be. The Zone. And that's The Zone. Talk to you later. Radio Influence brings you the absolute best in digital audio broadcasting. We've got something for everyone. Sports personalities like the fabulous sports babe, Rich Herrera, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy as they take you inside the dugout. We'll take you inside the world of MMA with the MMA Report with Jason Floyd, the MMA Insiders, and the Valor Hour with Tim Loy and Casey Oxidai. Or you could find yourself sitting ringside with wrestling ring announcer David Penzer. TV law enforcement analyst and former police officer Vincent Hill breaks down this week's biggest crime stories and takes you beyond the badge. Chef Brian Duffy from TV's Bar Rescue shares his crazy life on the road with Duffified Live. And Scott Ledger will always make you think with some dangerous conversation. All of Radio Influence's shows can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 